what you do in, in the dark comes through in the light, right? And so it's like, we work in silence a lot and we don't always like, you know, sometimes I'm like, the, the world needs to know how hard this is. And I'll, you know, scream it from the rooftops at times, but other times I'm like, when we make this thing so big, it's all gonna be worth it. Welcome to the Business Muscle Podcast, where we empower entrepreneurs to transform their businesses into unstoppable empires. I'm Elise, CPA turned serial entrepreneur. And I'm Arielle, a seasoned physical therapist and business owner. We're two female entrepreneurs with a passion for helping small business owners like you achieve massive success. With our combined expertise, we've scaled to an impressive seven businesses in less than seven years. And guess what? Each of them was profitable right from the start. But we didn't stop there. We're here to share our secrets, strategies, and insider tips to help you turn your business into a thriving reality. And hey, we're not just all about business. As a physical therapist and fitness instructor, we'll also sprinkle in some fitness and wellness tips along the way. Join us on the Business Muscle Podcast every Monday as we guide you step-by-step towards financial freedom and building the business of your dreams. It's time to level up your business. Get ready to flex your business muscle. Welcome back to another episode of the Business Muscle Podcast. We have a very special episode in store for you guys today. We have our first interview with another small business owner on the podcast. Today we have Megan St. Mark. She is the owner of Revved Indoor Cycling Studios, and she has built her business from the ground up. She's been in this business for almost 10 years, has some really exciting new projects on the way, and we could have sat and talked to her all day. The conversation was so great. When we sat down and wrote the guests that we wanted, Meg was on top of the list. And so we're so excited for you to hear this. She was so real. She was so open. She talks about the ups, but also the downs. There was a lot of hurdles that she went through over the the last nine years. So we think you guys are going to get a ton out of this episode. We are thrilled for you to listen. So let's jump right in. All right, guys, we're back. And today we are with Meg St. Mark. She is the co-founder, co-owner of Revved Indoor Cycling. They currently have four locations in and around Boston. Welcome to the Business Muscle Podcast, Meg. Thank you. I'm so excited. We are so excited to have you. And I'm going to start with a quick story that you probably don't remember, Mm -hmm. but it really stuck with me. Okay. Um, I think it was, you just opened your first studio and I was working my corporate job and somebody at my corporate job knew you and said, you need to try Rev. She's awesome. And that was at the moment where I was writing business plans and I was reaching out to all these studio owners and getting crickets. Nobody would respond to me. I think I had one other person respond and the other person was you. I sent you an email. I said, Meg, I'm working at a corporate job. I think I want to open a fitness studio. I just want to pick somebody's brain. And literally within 24 hours, you sent me an email back. You were like, come take a class. Let's get coffee. And now when I see your success, I always think back to that moment. And it's like no surprise to me because of how you show up, how you respond for people, how you do the small things. I truly believe is how you do everything. And now I'm like, how she's going, she's leading towards her 10th year. It's like no surprise. I'm like, she is the goat. And this is why. Oh my God. That's like quite a title The goat. I'll, I'll share that with you. Um, I, I remember, I don't remember maybe the email, but I remember connecting with you. And I just think it's so important, like women supporting women. And even if it was just an idea for you that day that you were like, I just want to know more about it. That's like, that matters because people have given me shots and then also not given me shots in the Mm -hmm. past. Right. So, oh my God, I love that memory. Yeah. It stuck with me. And whenever I hear about revved, I just get like such good feelings that I'm always raving about you guys because that stuff is the stuff that matters. Thank you. So I love it. It really is. We try and respond to everything. 
So before we get into your story, tell anyone who might not know, what is Revd? Yes, Revd is a incredible brand that we have built over the last nine years. We started, our inception was um, in Dedham in 2014, and we are indoor cycling. And Clyde Sims my, and myself are co-founders of, um, of Revd, and now we've really grown it into more of a fitness brand. Um, we have two modalities that we currently cover. So we have indoor cycling predominantly, but we also do offer what's called Revd which is more of like a cross-training boot camp style session that you can take in our Foxborough um, space and our playground space. Um, and it is something that we're going to be fleshing out further into the future, discovering new modalities that kind of serve our community and our team. Um, but we are four strong right now, plus our playground in Foxborough, which is a lot of fun where the X is held. Um, and we are now also, and I'm sure we're going to talk more about it, but we are moving into more of a national presence as well. Um, but at the root of who we are. It's a team mentality. It's, um, it's becoming the greatest versions of ourselves in a, you know, in a group setting. Um, and it goes beyond the spin and, and the sweat and the workout. And it's really just like people coming together and inspiring each other um, and pulling that out of each other. So in a very high level, that's who we are. We awesome. love that. Thank you. So going back to the beginning, because we want to get your story and mm-hmm. how this huge empire was built. Were you always into fitness? Was fitness always the goal when you were younger? You're like, I'm going to do something in fitness or how did it all start? So fitness wasn't always like the main focus for me, but I was always an athlete growing up. So when, when, when you're a kid and you're an athlete, you don't realize it's fitness, right? Yeah. You're like, just yeah. like, I have soccer practice. I have lacrosse practice. I've got track. And so I played a lot of sports growing up. I played through high school. Um, and right at the end of high school, in the beginning of college, I experienced like a shoulder injury and it kind of like threw me out of the game. Right. Um, and so I was in college and I just started weightlifting a lot and playing club sports and having fun. But I was really in the gym a lot. and at Northeastern, go Huskies. I got certified as a personal trainer in like the rec center there. Right. And I was like, this is awesome. Like now I know how to like make my own workouts. And I didn't really think about it in terms of other people. It was more like, how can I continue to like use my body and kind of let that be my downtime? Like that was my recreation time. Um, and then I started taking group fitness classes in the gym there. And I took a spin class like once a week religiously. And one week this girl didn't show up to teach the class. And I got up with my iPod that, you know, like the click wheels, like click, 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 yep. click, click, kind of song. Like, you even <laughs> oh my make, gosh. This yep. was like in 2006. You couldn't even like make a playlist back then. Uh, unless you had the thing that like the small clip on one. You remember that one? Yep. It's like a small. Yeah. So I'm dating. How myself. times have changed. Yes. <laughs> now you can like actually now. like think of a playlist and it could be created like, like AI in your brain. Yep. But um, I got up and just like put a little playlist together and we rode bikes and it was like, trash, but it was great. (laughs) Um, And so that was kind of my first like taste of group fitness, but I was working in um, a uh, media and journalism studies um, major. So I was working in television and I worked in television sports for almost 10 years. So I started with a co-op and then I was working for Nesson with like the Red Sox, the Bruins, the Celtics, the Patriots, the Revolution. Um, And then I went on to do kind of like ESPN and NBC sports and covered college sports, high school sports in Rhode Island and Mass and was just that was my world, right? So fitness was always very like uh, recreation for me at that time. I wasn't taking on clients. I wasn't teaching classes. And so I was just having a good time. I think I taught some classes at the Marino Center, but was never like their main go-to spin instructor. And now they have like a full studio in their gym. Like it's like the world has changed so much. Um, But then there was a time where I was going through kind of like a career transition because the NHL went on strike. It was a player strike back in like 
2000, oh gosh, I can't remember, like the end of the 2000, like, like 2009, 2010 maybe. And I had to get another job because there were no games for us to work in production. So I was like a stage manager, production assistant, and then also like doing some like uh, sideline reporting and on-air stuff, which was really fun. I covered the bean pot a couple of times in, in arena on the, on the screen. It was so much fun. And th- that was my family. That was my life. Like everyone, we worked nights, weekends, and holidays. So like we never got to see our families. We just had each other for like Thanksgiving, New Year's games, everything. And then they went on strike and we were all like out of work. And so I went into the world of, um, of like corporate sales and was working in New York City. Um, And then I even moved down to Florida and was working kind of like nine or 10 different jobs down there, one of them being in a gym. And I started taking on clients as a personal trainer because I had my CPT and I was like, hey. And I mean, I was bartending. I was like hustling. I didn't sleep. I was like 24, like just like crushing it. And I was in Naples, Florida, and then eventually Miami. And I took on a lot of clients at a couple of gyms as a personal trainer and then started also teaching group fitness there. And I was working at, um, I think it was like an LA fitness. And then I went on to the Equinox in Miami. So I moved over there and I was still doing part-time television, part-time corporate sales, kind of part-time everything. But fitness started taking over my purview. And I was like, I love affecting people's wellness. Like I love bringing people together, having them feel really good about themselves. Even if for 45 minutes, it's like the hardest thing they've ever done. They leave feeling so amazing and people were getting healthy and they're living longer lives. And I was like, this is, this is the change I think I always wanted to make. Right. And so it started to just kind of organically become my favorite thing. And I started getting more educated in different modalities and training and getting a lot of certs and different things. Um, and I eventually moved back up to Boston by way of New York city, um, and connected with Clyde and Clyde was playing for the revolution at the time. And it just so happens I was living in Hoboken, New Jersey, and my Craigslist roommate was dating one of his teammates and we all started hanging out and everyone knew that I was the one that worked in fitness and was like teaching spin and like doing whatever. And, um, Clyde kind of approached me and was like, I'm, I think I'm retiring from soccer soon at like 33, like super young. And like, what's up with fitness? Like, what do you like to do? What do you teach? And we just really connected in like the fitness space. And we started going to studios together all the time. I would come to Boston for work and go to places with him. He would come to New York. We would go to places together there. And we started to really kind of develop this like fitness friendship. And then one day he called me out of the blue and was like, okay, we're going to do a studio together. And I was like, what? And he was like, yeah, like, I'm, you know, this is what I think I want to do. I want to do it with you because you've got this background in teaching and we've got this immense amount of research that we've just organically done in the market. And we're going to do it in Washington, D.C. And I was like, I will not be moving to Washington, D.C. I've been like all over like the East Coast. I'm I'm either like New York or Boston or bust. Right. So but I'll consult with you. Like, I got you. Like, I'll help you get there. (laughs) Why Washington? Because that's where he had lived for a long time. Okay. so he was on the D.C. United um, MLS team there for a long time. He was captain there. He had like a great career there. And then he was brought to New England towards the end of his career. So he always wanted to go back there and he had so many friends there, a lot of relationships. Um, and so, and his sisters both live there too. And, um, and it's like his family was close to there and he's from North Carolina originally. So it was even closer to like his parents. And I was like, yeah, no, I'm good. So he kind of called me again. He was like, let's do this. Let's do this. So I'm like, you know what? The best decision that you hear as a parent is your kid to say, hey, I'm quitting all my corporate jobs. 
I'm going to go into business with this guy that you don't know. I'm going to open a fitness <laughs> yep. studio and I'm going to like not have health insurance. Don't worry. Like I'm so good. I'm healthy. It's like it's going to be totally fine. It's going to be so fine. Yeah. And my parents were like, I mean, I'm one of five kids. Like I think if I was an only child, they might've like been like, what are you doing? But yeah. it was chaos at all times. They're like, okay, great. Good luck. But they were always really supportive. So I started writing this business plan while I was still working in New York city. And I would be like burning the midnight oil, like writing this business plan. Then I stopped really doing my day job and was really all in on this business plan. So one day my manager, Matt, God bless him. He calls me in and I'm like, I know this is a performance review. Like, I know it. I can feel it. I can feel it. And so I was like, okay, well, the best part is, is I'm quitting. So this is great. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to quit and take this leap. And Matt calls me in and he's like, so we got to talk about this. Like you haven't sold anything in like, <laughs> I don't know, <laughs> or like ever Megan. And like my, my personal, like it's sales. Like I could sell you like the thing that you already own, but I wasn't doing anything there. And so I was like, well, I have great news for you. I'm actually quitting to open my own business. And he was like, I feel so much relief right now. Okay. How much time do you need? Like what's your, he gave me like a couple weeks to kind of get my life together before like we transitioned out. He was, I'll never forget Matt Rush. Thank you so much. And he was like, okay, this makes me feel really good. Cause like, I didn't know what was going on. Like with you, this is not like you to not be good at he your job. He was probably not looking forward to this conversation. <laughs> no. Cause so he you was, probably <laughs> helped him. He was like, thank God. He was a really nice guy. He's awesome. Like, uh, and I, I really, um, I'll never forget his just kind of kindness in that way. And also like his relief, like, I really am glad that you've got something else going on. Cause like, otherwise, what the fuck are you doing? Yeah. What have you been doing with your time? Yeah, you can okay. Okay. <laughs> and so, um, so I gave my notice and then I ended up moving to Dedham, like right actually over there, we're sitting in legacy place right now. So on the other side was Clyde's apartment. I moved into his extra bedroom and we just started building the business from like the ground up. And like, long story short, now we're here. <laughs> so many amazing. questions. Yes, talk to me. I, so I when you first started doing the business plan, was it always spin? Or it was. It was always spin. So we went with spin because we both loved it. It kept him really healthy in his off seasons. And he was a player on his team that rarely was injured because he took really good care of himself. Um, you know, his story is that he's got that, you know, um, degenerative kidney disease. And so it was really important for him to be a professional athlete. He had to like maintain his body in a really like delicate way. And, um, he always did spin, he did yoga and neither of us had any yoga like training experience. And it just didn't really call to us in a way to like build a business around that. But spin was always like a large group of people and the ability to affect a lot of people at one period of time. And just that energy exchange, right? The trainer is working out with you. They're not walking around a room. They're working out with you. There's empathy created. And that spoke to us in a really big way. And every time I taught a spin class, no matter where I was teaching it, and I've taught it, LA Fitness, Equinox, BSC, NYSC, New York Health Market, like a lot of places, I always felt like no matter where I was, I was able to like, make those connections with people because we were doing something really challenging and we were doing it together and the music was super integral to it and it was a huge sensory experience. And so that's why we chose that. That's great. Gotcha. Yeah. Where did the name Rift come from? Yeah. Who came up with the name? That's okay. like one of the toughest decisions. Yes, you're forming it is a business. huge decision. We had some weird names at first. Yeah, let's hear some <laughs> of these weird, weird names. Gosh, Clyde's going to kill me, but this is funny. So Clyde's a very outside the box thinker, which is why we we meld really well together. I'm very, I'm terrified of taking risks. I'm very rules oriented. Like I don't want to do anything ever, which is very anti-entrepreneur. Yeah. Like I am not your natural entrepreneur. I'm out of outside my comfort zone 24 seven. Like I hate 
all of it, but I do it. I don't know. <laughs> but you do it great <laughs> and you make it look easy. Fake it till so. you make it. I think it's like a, a problem that me and my therapist are working through. But um, Clyde is a big risk taker. He likes to think outside the box. So when it came to picking a name for our business, he was coming up with crazy shit. Like he wanted to just call it crisp. Crisp. <laughs> yeah. Mm. He wanted to call it Blue Mango, which I think is a smoothie shop. I know. I know. Blue Mango. He was like sending texting me these things. He was like, listen, he was like, look at the Lululemon. What does that even mean? Like, and everyone knows it. And I'm like, yeah, I hear you. But like, what? Like, okay. Yeah. So we had all these weird names. We were calling up our friend, um, Maggie, who's like a marketing professor and like marketing professional herself. And she's like very graciously like cool, but like not sure. And then she's putting logos together in jest. And he's like, yes, that's the logo. And we're like, no. <laughs> like, oh my God. And so it was like, well, I was wild. Like I got to find those emails of Maggie. because You need to find the blue mango. Logo. The blue mango. And it had yeah. this like little like circle that almost looked like a blue coffee ring on a table. It was like really precious. And, um, we sat down with these two really smart guys that were like graphic designers that were friends of Clyde's and they were actually big soccer fans. And they were like, we want to make your logo. And we were like, okay. Um, and so we sat down at the four seasons. I could only afford to order tea and like hot water for everybody and like downtown Boston. And, um, we were putting sounds together, like movement sounds in words. Right. And we wanted it to kind of feel like you're moving forward. Like you're kind of like building momentum and like kind of going just like crisp. Right. <laughs> and, um, the designer just started like kind of popping things into Photoshop and he just put the word Rev, R-E-V. And we were like, ooh, and these like kind of chunky like block letters and it like italicized, like moving forward. We were like, oh, it's kind of cool. And it reminded me of the Nike logo in a way, right? There's like that movement, that like boldness to it. It's really simple. Um, what does Nike even mean, right? But it feels like familiar. Yep. And so then we were like, what is, it's missing something. So then they just did like a ED, like Revved. And then it was like, mm, and like apostrophe D. Okay. And then he put a star in and we were like, wait a second. Mm -hmm. And that was it. We were like, and that was the moment that was it. And we were like, okay, we're wrapped. This is really cool. I feel like for us, at least once you find the name, it just feels so much more real. Yeah. Like that is the point where like, all right, this is the thing. Yes. Now right. Then you can forward. actually move forward. It was right. a thing. Cause I could put it on paper. Right. Mm -hmm. So then it became the thing and you're so right. Cause then it's like all of your ideas start to kind of funnel into yep. the name. And so you could call it something too. And everyone's like, what's that project you're working on? Oh, arrived. Okay, yeah. cool. Um, and then it kind of tips the hat to like the revolution too, which is like a part of like Clyde's, you know, um, sports past, but, um, everyone in DC would probably hate to hear that, but it wasn't for that reason. Yep. Um, but it was definitely like kind of a cool, like nod to that too, which I was love special. the name and the brand. It's so clean. Yeah. It looks like it could be a franchise. Like Thank that's you. what it looks like when you see it. So I feel like you guys nailed it. Thank yeah. you. I appreciate that. And when you were in this phase, so now you have the name ready. Did you picture Rev becoming what it is today? Or no. do you think it was going to be just one studio? Yeah. Oh, it's hard to think back, right? Because you probably yeah. think like, what were those early days I like? I said, I wish I had a journal. I wish I, I had journaled back then. Yeah. Like, what was I thinking? I do little video notes sometimes. And then I look yeah. at them and I'm like, girl, <laughs> make this audio. Video's rough. Um, but I, I, I think back and I think it was like, get the first one going. And then when our second opportunity came to us in Foxborough at, at Patriot Place in Gillette Stadium, I couldn't believe someone wanted us somewhere else. Like, I feel like up to that point, you were constantly proving that you needed to be somewhere. And then all of a sudden, like someone else wanted you and you were like, why? Like, you know yep. what I mean? Like, what are we doing? We're doing something right. Oh, okay, cool. And I think it was a little bit of the celebrity nature of Clyde having played for the revolution, which was really cool. And 
Patriot Place wanted to start doing things that were more destination based. They had no fitness up there at that time, mostly just kind of retail and some restaurants. And their goal, and they've really been nailing it over the last 10 years, is becoming a destination space outside of games and concerts, right? Yep. You go there, there's, you know, there's a couple other fitness spaces. There's like the TV 12 sports there. Um, and they've got some other experiences that are not just retail and restaurants anymore. And so we were the first tenant that really kind of kicked off that um, experience. And we were local. And we had like the, you know, the former player of the revolution on the, on our, um, in our founding board. And so it was like, it made sense for them. But at that time I was like, okay, that'll be it. We'll have two. Yeah. Right. And then you get like calls. Cause like, you know, corporate real estate, they're like, Hey, like mm-hmm. with the new hot thing, we need one too. But I never thought, I really never thought I didn't sit down and go, I will have 10 studios. I will franchise. I will do all. No, no, no. That wasn't in that original no, business plan. I, like, I remember I'm terrified yeah. of all things. Like, so I'm afraid of the risk, right? Yeah. So to me, it's so risky to expand. So like, you thought you were going to just stay in Dedham, just crush it. Yeah. And mm-hmm. then maybe like go to Fox Marling. Like that yeah. was it. Like I had no idea. <laughs> Clyde, on the other hand, was like, we will take over the world. Like yeah. I was like, okay. <laughs> so, but I was always kind of down for it. Like, yeah, you're like, oh, he just kind of has be. to talk me. I'm here for it. Along for the ride. Yeah. That's cool. When you guys sat down, and this is another big topic that a lot of people don't, this is like the ins and outs that you don't see. You sat down and then you have to open a business. Did you guys actually sit down and write what your partnership agreement was? Like the nitty gritty, your your roles, your responsibilities, or was it a handshake deal? It was written. So it was okay to cover good. to cover a base probably for some sort of like loan I was applying for at one point. You ever feel like you're doing paperwork because you're asking for money? Oh no, because you I, yeah, it's a different yeah. situation. So like if we're taking on like a small bank loan or like an investor or something like that, you have to have all your documents like associated, right? Yeah. They're like, what's your operational agreement? I'm like, let me get that for you really quick. So then I'm calling up like Clyde and like our other partner, and we're like, what is our operational agreement? <laughs> Let's so, write this real quick. So, but I did write in the very beginning a very brief operational agreement of just percentage of ownership. Right. And yep. today, to this day, that like remains very similar. Um, and so, so yes and no, but like you kind of do things out of necessity. Cause I also have no, like I had no business background. I didn't get an MBA. I didn't do anything but study my journalism and my media studies in college and like have pretty good social skills. Like that's pretty much like where it began and ended. So I didn't know like what an operational agreement was or what, you know, furthering your LLC documents were. Right. Like mm-hmm. I just did it through Rocket Lawyer online. Like yep. I didn't even use a real, I'm sure they're real lawyers. Sorry, Rocket Lawyer, but it's automated. And they asked me like for my address and my, you know, date of opening and we were like good to go. So very, very like different than how things are right now. Things are very formal right now. So yeah. yeah. So what does it look like? Like what's your role? What does Clyde take on? Like how does your partnership work? Yeah. So we really play to our strengths. And um, so Clyde does a lot of the like product development and a lot of kind of like the business development. So in terms of growth and then talent development, right? Our trainers, he's heavily in our, in our development program of our trainers, where we train everyone in-house through like this big process of like auditioning into the schedule and onto the team. Um, he's very much focused on business development, like the growth, like, you know, how, where we're going to be, how it's going to look. Um, and he's, but I will say also like we share many hats too, because we have four locations and like over 40 trainers and probably over 110 employees overall. So having one leader, like we're co-CEOs, right? Um, I'm a bit more of the face of things, a bit more of the voice of things from a public standpoint and from a team like formal standpoint. Um, I handle HR, legal, finance, um, operations, um, this whole big, you know, uh, new growth 
like portion of legal work that we've been doing. Um, and, um, and kind of like the day-to-day like team, I hate the word lubrication, but lubrication comes to mind because it's like keeping everyone's wheels greased up and getting everybody going. Um, but we share, we share the brunt and, um, and there'll be times where, you know, one of us is doing a whole lot more and the other one is taking care of something other. Like I've been on two maternity leaves, right? I've had two kids through this process. Um, he's had kidney transplants <laughs> through this process. So right. we ebb and flow. Um, but I would say right now we're actually at a big pivot and a big transition of what will our jobs be moving forward. Um, and so it's going to be really interesting to see like who goes into kind of what field and then also what we have to do from a hiring standpoint. Right. All right, so I went back into the archives. Oh, God. I'm I went back. This is your life. This is going to be juicy. <laughs> I had to. So your first Instagram post, you guys announced in April of 2014. Your first class was August 2nd, 2014. You waitlisted. You sold out. But that's a big gap. April to August. I need to talk, I need to hear about this April yeah. to August. And your Instagram post, which we'll talk about. A lot different back then than they are now. Oh, yeah, because I was running Instagram. <laughs> Back then, um, I'm not a social media expert. In fact, I who is though? We're all just faking it. Well, but like, but there are people. Two yeah. of them are sitting in this room right now, much more versed yeah. because they've actually like you know, there's people that actually go to college and study social media, and like yeah. marketing. That's true. That's true. I actually I learned the other day what marketing was when we were on our business trip. They explained to me like my creative director and my marketing director were like, I'm like, guys, real real talk what the fuck is marketing and what is sales and what's the difference? And then what, and they were, they broke it down for me. And I was like, thank you. So I've never been more enlightened in my life. I'm like, this all makes sense. So anyways, we can get into that later. What marketing is on another podcast, but, but you know, it's like all of these big ideas, right? So from April, 2014, April, 2014, I was like you and your dad in a t-shirt. Yeah. It was like those like awesome posts, but you're like excited to open a business. We made t-shirts before we had a business because we wanted to get like boots on the ground, grass rooty, like what is red? We were, we were putting, um, spray paint tags all over like uh, public places. We were like vandalizing <laughs> oh my God. like greater Boston. Gotta um, spread the hype. And my dad still has that t-shirt. I mean, it's the gray with the red, right? Yep. And my hair was different. I wasn't as bald as I am now. Um, I'm dealing with it. Um, but the, uh, the, uh, the April to August transition was secure. So we had a first location that we secured here in Dedham. And then we went to town hall and, and like a lot of times you probably have done this. You got to go to town hall and get your mm-hmm. use permit and explain to a bunch of people that have no idea what you're talking about, that you want to open a fitness studio. And so I had to go and pitch, you know, Clyde and I went and we stood up in front and they're like, well, that's great, but you don't have enough parking for more than 10 bikes. So like have a great business with your 10 bikes. And we were like, we can't do a business on 10 bikes. There's just like no revenue in that. Right. So we dropped that location and then found another location within like the next 36 hours. So that was happening. Clyde was also dealing with his health issues in a really big way. His kidney function was, was like, you know, waning and, um, he was going into some, you know, some more like treatments and stuff that was taking up a lot more time. So that was happening in the background of us building the business. But I think by like end of April, May of 2014, the build out started in the Dedham studio. So like Location number one, but technically location number two, because we had signed a lease previous that we were able to get out of when we didn't have enough parking. So it was a lot of build out happening, 
a lot of trying to like build a team. So we were finding some like really awesome people from the area that I think I posted on Craigslist, like looking for spin instructors. And so a couple of people kind of wandered in and they became our first team and like, just like the OGs of all OGs. Um, The only trainer from back in like day one that still remains is myself, but they were all amazing. And like people have moved on because of life and like families and, and whatnot. And the business went in different directions. Um, But that's what was happening between then. And the reason that we sold out those first sessions was because it was all our friends and family. Like, you know, it's like we sold out two sessions on Saturday, two sessions on Sunday, opening weekend, and then had no one Monday morning come like after all the friends and family left. We were like, wait, we don't, what? Where's everybody? And then you just built, you built. So anyone thinking that they're walking into like massive success on day one and two, if it's just friends and family, it feels really good. And then the reality set in. So, um, but we built and like that one person in a session turned into four, turned into 15 and so on and so forth. So, yeah. Yeah, So what were some of the really key players in building growth after the, after the initial launch? It was the realization of that marketing had to happen. (laughs) (laughs) Clearly nine years later, I'm now realizing what marketing is. Um, We did crazy things. We had no money to like, we had no marketing budget. So we went over to the apartment complexes really people who live here should be like coming here. They can walk or drive over. So we lived in the Jefferson and we could get into the Avalon because a friend of ours lived there. So we went through the hallways and figured out all of the numbers of every apartment and use our own address to then just like print out flyers without buying like a mailing list. Cause you know, mailing lists are so expensive. Yep. And so we just figured out the pattern and then just did our own mailers. And like, that was Clyde's idea. He was like, wait, we can just like go over there and like key in and just look at everybody's addresses. And then one time I didn't have enough money for postage. So I just kind of popped them in the mail rooms and was just like sliding them Slide through them slots in. by people's <laughs> wow. So we did a lot of stuff like that. We started working with brands like Lululemon here in Legacy Place and other brands that were like like-minded Athleta. And at the time there wasn't really, those were the only two athleisure kind of brands in a place like this. Um, we started showing up at like Dedham Day and Foxborough Day and like community cleanup days and wearing our rev shirts and being a part of the community. Um, we started just, you know, hey, bring a friend for free, like different things like that, that would just kind of develop over time. Um, and then I was reading every book about like how to grow your business too. And a lot of that would be like boots on the ground, just start walking around and shaking hands and kissing babies and talk to people. Um, I think we stood in Whole Foods once or twice and just like waved and bought people their coffee. Like, you know, it's mm-hmm. a, and the community around us was very supportive and they loved like a local women and like owned business, minority owned business was really important um, back then and even more so now. So it was just kind of cool like to see how how different it was to start back then than it is now. Social media was like, obviously you saw Instagram was not as big, powerful tool like it is now. TikTok didn't exist. Facebook was big, I think at the time. So we posted. And, but I think yeah. that's huge for people to hear that it's not like you just open your doors. Because on Instagram, if you look, it seems like everything's so easy. Yeah. Everything happens overnight. But people aren't seeing the grind that you guys did from April to August. The, like the bumps that happened, you lost the spot. And then you going into Whole Foods and sitting, we've done that. We've put up tables <laughs> yep. outside a business. Can we just put a rower outside your business and just literally wave and talk to people? Yeah. Like, People think it happens overnight, but they don't see the day-to-day passing out flyers. One client at a time. That's why mm-hmm. we say in Haverhill, it's one client at a time. You just continue yeah. to build, and then exponentially it starts to 
build momentum, but not at the beginning. Yeah. And you ebb and flow too. Like, I mean, I'm sure we'll get to it, but when the pandemic hit, you then had to do it all over again because you had to, but you were dealing with the fear of being in public and the fear of getting sick and just the fear of everything. And so I think that was actually a harder reopening than opening, you know, in the early days because you had to overcome fear. And before the only real fear around group fitness was like, am I strong enough to do this? Or like, will I look stupid? Right. Like a lot Mm -hmm. of athletes will be a fearful of spin. It looks so scary and crazy because of it's like, you know, old image. And so that was the only fear we were overcoming. But post pandemic, we were overcoming the fear of life and death of coming into a small room to work out. Like, so definitely different challenges, but the early days, you also had a lot more room for trial and error than you do now. I think, um, when you're not as large and well-known. Like you can try this out, try that out. Now the the microscope is on in a little bit of a bigger way. We were laughing about towels earlier, right? Mm -hmm. About like amenities and things like that. Back in the day, you could have them one day and not have them the next day. But now it's like, oh my gosh, they've made a change, right? Because it's like everything needs to be a certain way. So um, I, I kind of, I envy the early days at times, but I also love what we've become and I wouldn't change it. Yeah. So what does a launch look like? So we know what your initial launch looked like of being really gritty, one client at a time. How is that different from what things look like now as far as opening a new studio, new location, new franchise opportunities? I'm almost wondering like, yeah, exactly what you would tell somebody like the things you've learned, what would you have gone back and told little Meg to do? (laughs) Now that you crush it now. Little Meg. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I would have been like, it's going to be okay. Like I worried about, I mean, I'm a warrior. I told you earlier, like I'm always afraid of risk and things. And I'm a worrier. I'm also a mom now. So I wasn't a mom back then. So I will say my perspective has grown in a big way where I'm like, all the stuff that I was worried about back then, I wish I could be worried about now. You know what I mean? Like life just got so much bigger since then and and liabilities get so much bigger as you grow. And, and like, you know, we took on investors and there's so much to be considered now. Whereas back in the day, it was like, pay the light bill, pay the rent bill. And now it's there's a lot more involved. So I would say to her, little Meg, <laughs> girl, it's okay. Like, and you're also going to do very cool shit that you never thought you could do. And you're going to be dealt hands that are, like awful and in the moment feel like the biggest crisis of your life, but they're also just going to be the greatest blessing overall. So, um, but now, I mean, I can share this because of when this episode will be launching, but we are doing our national franchise. And so we've, thank you. And so our official launch will be announced the week before this airs, knock on wood. (laughs) Livia's smiling over there. Like, um, and, um, And we'll be announcing that with our first purchase of a unit, of a franchise unit, which is super exciting. So it's like amazing to launch and then to launch with the knowledge that someone's already bought in is like just one of the most confident launches you can have. And so we're really proud of that. So I'm going through the process of onboarding this new owner of a revved studio. And so I'm telling her a lot of the things that I wish I had known back in the day. And I'm like giving her the shortcuts that I now know how to do and, and managing her expectations, knowing that I had similar fears and, and um, crises and, you know, she's raising funding for this and she's, and I'm just like, here are all of the ways that I've ever tried to raise funding. Here are all of the conversations you're going to have. You're going to uncover more than I've done, but like, here is a land ending pad for you just to know that you're not alone in this. And so, um, and a lot of things are very streamlined now too, than more than they used to be, right? You have the power of social media. She's got the knowledge of an industry that has grown over the last 10 years. Um, and so it's been, it's been a really fun exercise to see her now go through her launch because she'll be opening 
Um, this is airing on the 9th. Yeah. That's her opening day. So wow. that's so, great timing. Yeah. That's, so that's really cool. I'm knocking on wood again because you never know. But <laughs> um, but no, it's it's been a really cool process to kind of download my my experience into her and have her, you know, kind of say like, okay, this is how it's gonna go and have the backing of the, the Revved brand, which is now big because we're a franchise. Which is isn't that crazy to like crazy. say out loud? I actually really haven't said that. He's got very lightheaded as he said. That out loud. <laughs> what happens if I pass out on the pod? Um, <laughs> yeah, so um, it's a little emotional too to think because it's been a long year of putting it together, um, and a long like nine years of like building the brand. So it's like a very exciting way to grow into the future. It's awesome. Yeah, thank you. So we're gonna go back a little bit. So 2014, you open your first one, and then quickly you open the second one in Foxborough. Yeah, 2015. What, yeah. What is it like? What was it like for you scaling from one to two? That was um, that was kind of hard because it was all organic, right? So all of our investment was from the original studio. So we didn't take on really any outside investment um, outside of our you know our funds that we were you know revenues that we were creating in Denim, and so it's a really hard way to grow, right? It's like margins are like. And so uh, there were periods of time where I experienced things that I have never experienced again, like not being able to pay my team for a couple of weeks at one point. And that was devastating. You do not want to have to be the boss that makes that phone call saying like, hey, guys, we're going to have to hold our paycheck or a portion of it. Um, Because for Clyde and I, um, paying our team and taking care of our team comes first. Uh, It comes before the rent, the light bills, anything like we need our team to be okay. They're taking a risk on working for a small business and they're working for very compassionate ownership. And that's very important to us. And so when that would happen and that happened, I think like two times during that period of growth, it was just the worst, like that feeling in your, I, I'm feeling it right now in memory yeah, of it. In your face. Yeah. It's like, like I'm, yeah. it's like, it's gut wrenching. And so experience things like that. You experience um, expectations that you think are going to like, you think, oh, I've gone from one to two, I'm going to have an audience. No, you. it's it's ground up again, right? Yep. It's further down route one. It's in a, a, for all, it's a football arena, right? With a shopping center attached to it. And we can't be open and operating on football days because you can't get there at the time of your session. So we close down on their busiest days and you don't think of that when you're coming in, right? Because you've never done that before. So we benefit a lot from curb appeal on those days for sure. We're in B-roll of a lot of like, you know, uh, major networks showing off like, you know, Gillette Stadium, like B-roll kind of thing on TV. We get a lot of people walking by our doors, but they're closed on those days. Um, And it's not even worth getting our staff there just to wave and say hi and like hand things out because they can't get there. They sit in that traffic and they'll, they'll quit. (laughs) So, um, so yeah, so from one to two was really challenging. And I also realized that it was no longer like mom and pop time, like of a store, it was a brand, it was a business. And so it went from being, I now had my brain split into two places, right? And, um, but then to three wasn't as hard as one to two because we've done it before. And I'm a firm believer in you build confidence in experience. Even if it doesn't feel that way, the more you do things that are really challenging, the better you can be at them. If you allow yourself to just recognize that confidence that you have, even if it feels awful. Right. And I talk about it in sessions all the time. I'm like, we're building confidence through experience. Like we just pushed that hill. We can do it again, make it harder and then build that confidence on top of that. So going from two to three was like, okay, like we kind of already cut our teeth. 
let's let's do it again and you do it better that's the other thing you do it better every single mm-hmm. time and you learn in the experience and so a lot of the stuff that happened from one to two that was bad didn't happen from two to three we went for a little bit more investment from an external source we had someone that believed in us and they came in and they helped us with our build out and then we were like okay i didn't have that payroll crisis again because yeah. I padded it a little bit more. And, you know, we were able to do a little bit more in our build and get a little bit more sexy in our like aesthetic. Right. And, and so it was, um, and then it served the business as a whole. And so that, that was, uh, from one to two, definitely more challenging than two to three. So for us, when we went from two to three, that's when we started to feel the pressure of getting talent, like instructors mm-hmm. for us, that was probably when people asked me, what was the hardest thing when you scaled for me, it was getting good people. That makes sense. Because yep. I feel like at the beginning, it was if you had your core people, but then you're growing and you're wanting to keep the relationships that you have. Yep. It was so tight knit. How do you keep it as tight knit when you have one to three? You know? Yeah. Do you guys feel that? Or was, was talent and instructors always like just natural for you guys? That's a really good question. We had a lot of talent that was able to go between the three and in an unsustainable way at times. So myself included, like Alyssa, our director of talent at the time was um, just coming on full time at the, actually she was full time before at Fox Pro's inception. So um, we had people teaching a lot, like drive, I used to drive Saturday morning, Dedham, Fox Pro, Burlington, teach three before noon. That was not sustainable. That's just not okay. Like riding the bike every single time, not sustainable. So we had people doing that though, just kind of saying like, okay, this is temporary. Right. Um, And then. Burlington was challenging with talent that was local to that area. We had many more people that we had grown out in our Dedham and Foxborough studio, but our development program was becoming attractive to people and they loved that they were learning a lot. And a lot of the studios and gyms at that time were just throwing anybody on the podium and and like it was good to go and they would grow over time. But we were really kind of cultivating smart trainers and in our method and we were building our method at that time. But we were we were strapped. I would definitely agree. We were strapped. And, and so it wasn't like we had bountiful talent, but we had enough. And there were those of us that were at like 15 a week and we were just like grind time and just eating all day long. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So that was, but I think if we didn't um, almost like abuse ourselves in that way, it would have been a little bit harder, but we're like, yeah, we got, we'll do the next one. Like I got the next one, like high five, tap in, tap out. And we were, I was also like younger at that time. Didn't have kids yet. Like, I don't think I was married at that point. So um, I wouldn't, I wouldn't expect that of anybody anymore because you also see what burnout looks like. I think when you look back, you're like, we'll never do that again. So many things we've done that I'm like, how did we do yeah. that? I was teaching 24 classes. A week. How is that? How is there a time? Like, like, I would teach never do classes. that anymore. But yeah. you just do it because you have to. Yeah. Because you're making it happen. And yeah. you'll do anything. You're almost like just running off of adrenaline and you're like, whatever it takes. Yes. And when you find the people like the Alyssa's and stuff that are in it with you and believe so much in your brand and your why that will do it for you, you keep those people forever. Because yeah. they're just so great. And they're willing to just go balls to the wall for something that's not technically theirs. Yeah. It's but, so true. She's not allowed to leave. Yeah, Eliza. Eliza. <laughs> if you're listening, yeah. sweat fix and fixed her hiring. No, I'm now punching Elise in the head. No, I'm just kidding. Um, no, it's, it's true. And you find good people. And that's like something I, I'm not great at everything, please. Oh God. I'm, I'm good at a few things. And one of those things is finding talented people and placing them in positions where they can grow and develop. And I'm really proud of myself in that way. And like 
I'm starting to do a little bit more of that, bringing on our first marketing director, Olivia Boyd, like knowing that she's got this amazing experience. I'm going to start complimenting her because she's sitting right over there. She's gorgeous. She's smart. Um, But knowing that she comes from a place where I'm like, I literally didn't know what marketing was until she explained it to me last week when we were in Arizona. So thinking about like, I don't know all of that. Come in and teach me, take this role and just run with it. It's like a really great way to grow. And I don't want to be, and Clyde and I both don't want to be leaders who are going to tell people that have experience in a field that we know nothing about what to do, right? We're going to give them guardrails and we're going to say, hey, this is what we need to accomplish. How would you best do this? And also, if you see any system here that is not efficient or effective, help us change it, right? Rather than like, nope, that's, that's the way it is. Like, that's the way it is. We're not making any changes. No, like we have to evolve, evolve or die, you know? So, yeah. So before we continue the story, let's talk a little bit about your team because we're kind of on that topic. Yeah. Your team culture is amazing. You can feel it when you walk into your studio. You can see it by your retention rates. Your retention of instructors has been amazing. Like the Alyssa's, people just stay with you, the Brits. People don't leave when they come there. And that's, (laughs) and in fitness, that's not, retention is, the churn is insane in fitness. Mm -hmm. For the most part, usually. How do you build this culture? Like, what is your secret sauce? You and Clyde have something special going on. Oh, gosh, it's the sauce, man. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, thank you for saying that because at times it feels different than that, right? Because you're always making sure everyone's okay. I think that earlier you asked me what my job was. And a huge part of my job is making sure everybody's got what they need and that they're okay. And that they feel comfortable enough to come to Clyde or myself and just say when things aren't okay. And there was a long, there was a period of time around the end of COVID where the culture was struggling and it was people were coming out of a time that was really personally challenging, myself included, Clyde included, all of our trainers, all of our staff, everybody was like, just not great. And it was being reflected in how we all were operating with each other. And I asked a a part-time employee, one of our front desk staff who was working at a company that was rated like top place to work in like the country. And I was like, what does your company do that they're rated like number one in the country in like a place to work? I was like, how do you get that? And she said to me, she's like, they always ask us what we want and then they deliver on that. And I was like, a, B, C, D, E, F, G. Sounds simple. <laughs> right? Why haven't we so said that? Okay. everything. Yeah. And I said, okay. And I was like, and they, she's like, well, it feels like they listen to us. And I was like, I'm not listening to anybody right now. I was in survival mode. And I was like, I haven't listened to a single person that works for me without thinking about how it affects me and how I'm surviving in like a year or two because of what we had all gone through. So Clyde and I kind of like put the brakes on and started to reconnect with our team and say like, what do you guys need? What do you want? What's important to you? Like what, what kind of things matter to you when it comes to the work that you're doing here? And also, are you okay? Like, how are you guys doing? You know? And then when we started doing that and it's hard to put that into practice and I actually can't really describe how it all rolled out because there was no plan involved. It was just taking that, that like beat and just saying, no one is actually okay. How can we make sure that everyone has what they need? I can't make your life better, but I can offer you support and tools to like help in that process. Right. And so then I realized that's how we always did it before all that mess happened. Right. And I think that's where the culture that you see when you come into the studios comes from is that we really care about the people who work for us because they could work anywhere, especially so many, I mean, our full-time team, like our studio managers, our creative director, our marketing director, our talent director, they could go anywhere. They would be top pick in any job because they're so incredibly smart, talented, and like nice, wonderful, cool people. 
but they choose to be here, right? They're at will here at Revd. And so they're taking a chance every single day on something that would be considered maybe a risky industry to work in, right? Especially Mm -hmm. post-pandemic. And so I wanted everyone to feel how important it was that they knew that Clyde and I appreciated that and that we saw what they were doing to to make this work and ride this wave. And so pre-pandemic, that was very easy and natural because it was life was a little lighter back then. And when life got heavy, it got hard, the culture s- suffered, and we really had to kind of get back to the basics there, but in a larger way cuz when we came back from the pandemic, we had six studios, we had six going in, six coming out. And so there were a couple of really difficult decisions we had to make to help that process, like, you know, closing two studios and really getting back to kind of like the root and like a smaller um, footprint. But it really helped. It helped a lot because we weren't spread so thin and we were able to really connect with our people again. Yeah, I think a lot of people immediately like think, oh, I just got to pay them more. But they've done yeah. numerous studies and money is not the factor for people. Mm-hmm. It's like you said, being heard and getting feeling that they have ownership. And I feel like sometimes yeah. you do just need to step back and be like, what? Because you lose yourself. I feel like at SwiftFix, we've definitely done that as yeah. you grow. It's hard to like not lose what made you special at the beginning as you grow. So that's amazing that you guys recognize that and you made a change because you can feel it and you can see it on Instagram and it comes off so genuine. It's just cool. like you want to be a part of it. When I yeah. see your Instagram. Thank you. I'm like, does Meg want to hire me? Yes. <laughs> Can I be part of the team? Oh, but, but you're doing a great job where you are, but yes. <laughs> um, and then speaking of your instructors, you have a lot of instructors that have their own awesome projects going on. Mm-hmm. Um, they have lots of followers or just there's a bunch of them that we could list off. How do you handle that when they have like almost like another career and then they have the revved career? Mm-hmm. How does that work for you guys? So we obviously have guardrails. Like we like when you come on, there's like a handbook of like things that are important to the business and also like how to treat each other. And so it all starts with the fact that like we are respectful, we are authentic, and like we are a team, right? And among a couple other things, but in in truest form, respect, authenticity, team, right? And so, and we're an incredibly diverse team too, which we're really proud of. And that's been very organic for us over time. And so people have interests, people have full-time jobs and then they come in and and teach sessions, right? So it's like, we've always ebbed and flowed with people's schedules and abilities to be committed. And like, you know, people are building families, they're going on leave, like they're doing all these different things. And we've always, with like almost like, (laughs) almost in a detriment to the business at times, wanted to make sure everybody still had full access to be great at Revd, right? Um, But if you take Alyssa, for example, she's incredibly like talented and popular on social media. She's got a huge following on TikTok and Instagram and she's doing all these brand partnerships and she's constantly, you know, kind of in the public eye. And at the end of the day, that also benefits Revd because she is one of the proudest, you know, rappers of the Revd logo that I've ever met. And so anything that Alyssa is doing well, we want to support her on. And organically, it always comes back around to being like, well, where does she spend most of her time? With us, right? Mm -hmm. And so... I'm really proud of everyone that has their projects. I think amongst the team, we're human beings. Sometimes it's like, well, of course their sessions are sold out because they've got a million followers on Instagram. But someone like Alyssa is going to sit with every single trainer on our team that gives her their ears and she's going to show them how she built that. Mm -hmm. And she's always reinvesting into the team. She's always saying, you want brand partnerships? This is how you do it. You want to have a big following on Instagram? This is how you do it. Our creative director, Jesse, is spending hours, tens and twenties of hours a week, gathering content of our trainers, coaching sessions and handing it to them. Here's a gorgeous video of you. This is you on the podium. Go post it on your Instagram. 
put these hashtags with it. Like no one is in a silo here, right? Everyone is trying to help each other out. So it really kind of like, like takes away that competitive negative nature and puts in like more of like a team supportive nature. And also we call ourselves a team all the time. We're athletes, we're a team, we're trainers, we're a team. And so it eliminates subconsciously from the most part, like feeling like you're in competition with anybody else. And I know it happens. We're all human beings. Sometimes I'm like, oh, like nice sellout. Like, let me get my shit together. Right. But it's like, you know, in it and everyone is playing their role. Right. Like we've got some trainers that can only teach really early mornings and never get to have the evening vibe and vice versa. Right. But they're playing their role and they're playing it so well. And people are training with each other. Like trainers are popping into sessions and like training with each other. And and we love that. And we really try to cultivate that type of culture, too. So I I do know, obviously, there's going to be competition. There's going to be jealousy and things like that. But we try to create a platform where everybody can kind of realize like we're all equals here. You know, Clyde and I might be owners, but like we're first in last out some days. Right. And like Tuesday night electric festival, 2am, I got back home because I drove the U-Haul with the trucks in it. Right. Like, you know, and so everybody there, equal playing field. And I love, those are the things that I wish people could see. Like the U-Haul, like all those things people are like, oh, she just gets to go to big night live, (laughs) have a cocktail. I wish I couldn't because I was driving. But they Um, don't see that. And that's like the part that makes you great though. The, all the moments that people don't see. We're just going to take a brief pause from this episode to tell you all about our free business starter checklist. This is the checklist that we wish we had before opening our first businesses. It includes every step you'll need to take your business off of the ground. If you're someone who's looking to launch your first business, head to businessmusclepodcast.com and snag your free checklist. Now let's get back to the episode. Clyde and I are always funny about that too, because we don't, yeah. Oh my God. What I'd love for everyone to know, like why I was so tired this week, but I just had to overcome it, teach my sessions and like take a nap when necessary. Right. And it's like what you do in in the dark comes through in the light. Right. And so it's like, we work in silence a lot and we don't always like, you know, sometimes I'm like the, the world needs to know how hard this is. And I'll, you know, scream it from the rooftops at times, but other times I'm like, when we make this thing so big, it's all going to be worth it. It's all going to be worth it. Like my husband actually sent me this like cute Instagram thing about like one day we'll sit back and be like the hard times were so worth it because it's true, you know, and building a business is a lot like building a family. You know, it's like you got to have trust in your partner and you've got to have like the ability to do really incredibly hard things. And, and so like Clyde and I are both experiencing that in our personal lives too. So it carries over in a big way. Yeah. So speaking of Clyde, mm-hmm. having a partnership is like, you're married to the person. Yeah. Ariel, we've taken engagement. <laughs> Our engagement like, photo shoots. Yeah. Did you guys do that? I'd love to have yeah, a Christmas you, card come you through. Need this to. <laughs> <laughs> we have way too many photos way together. Clyde, we need another photo shoot. Yeah, we have too many. But with a partnership, there is a the good, the bad, the ugly. Mm-hmm. It, just like with a marriage or with anything. Yeah. So what have you guys found as ways to like make your partnership work or what yeah. ways has it been tough? Like give us the insights on because it looks, everything always looks great. Looks easy. And <laughs> yeah. he seems like the chillest person in he's the world. Chill. Yeah. And you choose. But it's still, I guarantee you there's still times where it gets heated. and. Oh, yeah. We know how to fight. Like we figured it out. Right. And like, because you and then we say fight, like, I don't think we've ever thrown fists. Because I would win. He doesn't want to see that. You don't want this heat. <laughs> he doesn't win. want that smoke. He doesn't want it. No, no. Clyde and I, from a very early point, 
set some rules and some regs and we were like, this is how we're going to operate. And we've had all out like arguments, but we're oh, like our thing, almost like if you watch the bear, like the show, the no. show. So you got to watch the bear. It's like, yeah, it's like such a great show about this like young kid that's opening a restaurant in like memory of his brother who passed away that used to run the restaurant and all the chefs, if they get into an argument, they kind of do that. Like, um, I'm sorry in sign language on their chest. And they say like, sorry, chef, sorry, chef. Right. Because what that means is like, we're on the same team. Like we're good. And so we're always like same team, same team. Like we might be fighting for the ball, like, you know, kind of like in a standoff, but then we're like, wait, we're on the same team. What are we doing? Right. That's always kind of been our vibe. And so Clyde sees things from a very different perspective than I do, but I think there's so much value in that. And when we argue about things, we always realize like, we're actually just trying to find the same solution. Right. And the best thing to move this thing forward. Right. And we're not always going to see eye to eye. In fact, probably more often than not, are we agree? more often than not, are we disagreeing? So um, it also helps when we build out our team, right? We now have, you know, three other senior managers that can come in and bring their perspective. And it's not like I'm on Clyde's team or I'm on Megan's team. It's more like, what is the best solution here, right? And so Clyde and I do a lot of collaboration with our senior management team and our leadership team to make decisions because sometimes it's not going to be just between me and Clyde, right? And then there's other stuff that he and I do just have to kind of carry on our shoulders and, and not have everybody weigh in on. Um, but we know how to get through an argument. We've had all out arguments like, you know, throughout the years, probably I can count them on like one hand, but they're always about something really important. And then you take a step back and you kind of same team it and you just kind of like, you know, or like, let's just sleep on it. Like just step away from it because it's never, it, when it starts to feel personal, it shouldn't, it's work, right? Mm -hmm. It feels personal because it's yours. It's your baby. It's your baby. It's your business. But like at the end of the day, it's just a job and a business. And like a lot of people lose sight of that. And like, I would rather have like a business where I'm like sharing decisions than having to make them on my own too. Because right. I watch a lot of people in, in business and, you know, at least we were talking about when you're opening Smut Fix by yourself and now fixed with Ariel, it's like just sharing that experience with someone, it makes all the difference. It really does. It doesn't mean you couldn't do it by yourself, but isn't it a little bit more comfortable to share it? It's so much more fun so too. Much better. Fun. Yeah. It's just like you have somebody to celebrate with. You have somebody... Mm. To struggle, it's just there's a huge, huge right. benefit to having a partner. Yeah. yeah, and we talk about this all the time too, where it's like you need to find a partner who shares the same big vision, but also who has opposite strengths that you have. Yeah. Because we have very different strengths. That's we are so two good. very different people and we balance each other out and that's what makes the business succeed. And is that how you and Clyde operate too? You have very, you, you yeah. mentioned this earlier, very different strengths. Yeah. We're very different people. Um, you know, you say he's super chill. Everyone's like, yeah, he's like the man of mystery, right? He's out there. And um, he's incredibly intelligent. Like the dude is so smart that I'm always like, why don't you do the finances for this business? Because I'm over here counting on my fingers, right? But we have, yeah, we have very different strengths. Um, and we kind of organically have fallen into our roles with based on those strengths. And, you know, you, you sit down and do a SWOT analysis of like what you're good at, what you're bad, what you love, what you don't love. We're about to go through that transition because of the franchise offering and the franchise launch. And we're going to be reevaluating like what we like about our jobs, what we do well, what we don't do well, what can we outsource, what can we delegate, what can we swap and trade. Um, and at the end of the day, I know Clyde is always going to be there for me when it comes to the difficult stuff. And I always love celebrating with him, like the wins um, and even the relief, right? Because sometimes, especially post-pandemic, we almost just celebrate the relief of the hard stuff, right? Like getting through all the lease negotiations, getting through the COVID debt reconciliation, like just getting something off your plate, not necessarily even in a win, 
you just like take that sigh and you're doing it with someone because they they're in the trenches with you. And it's been it's been special to do that with them. Awesome. We should next time we're going to interview Clyde. We got to get him in here. Yeah, yeah he's a good he's a good sound bite. Got to yeah. definitely get him in here. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Clyde, we're coming for you. <laughs> so we're going to go back a little bit. So you open three, mm-hmm. and then in true psycho entrepreneur fashion, you just open three at <laughs> yeah. the same time. After that, that's let's cool. let's talk about that. That's walk Clyde's fault. That's Clyde. I need you to walk us through how that's, three happens. You at see once. how I changed my stance? Yeah. I'm like, that's Clyde's fault. Um, so. Yeah, that would have been, um, so I always go back on like, was I pregnant or not at that point in time? Um, (laughs) I remember getting offers for a lot of different locations. So once we opened Burlington, a lot of like corporate real estate agencies were like hitting us up. Like I've got this location because they're just trying to fill location, fill location, sale, sale, sales, right? So we were looking at a lot of different spaces. We were like weighing out our like demographic research, like where do we want to be? And we knew we wanted to be South Shore. We really loved that like kind of Hingham Weymouth area that was like really cool to us. Um, we loved the idea of Providence when Brown University came to us and said they had some space on Thayer Street. Thayer Street was really hot at the time. It's really cool right now too. And then um, we got a call from our friend Garrett, who used to work um, in Boston in real estate and also was a Barry's instructor. And Copley Place was looking to bring in fitness into like a newly renovated part of the mall that a Cafe Nero was coming into. And Cafe Nero was like, we need fitness right next door. It's a really good synergy. We've got it in a couple of our locations. And Cafe Nero was like at that time expanding massively. Like you see them everywhere now. And this was like right at the beginning of that expansion. So she called us and was like, I've got this space in, in Copley Place Mall. It's like uninhabited, brand new like construction. It was like the Dartmouth side um, entry area was renovated and it created this like huge level of just open space. And so I remember it was like summer of probably 2018 and we were touring the space. I was like nine months pregnant, literally sweating onto the floor from my summer dress. Like I was like mortified that I was about to like have a baby in this like construction zone. But we looked at Copley. Uh, we got outreach from WS and Hingham at Derby Street Shops. And we were looking at that space. We had been courting them for a while, doing events there. Um, same ownership here in Legacy. So we were like doing events and like kind of like dating them. And then Providence as well kind of fell into our lap. And so we were like, are all three going to happen? And it's like, you go through the leasing process. You're not really sure if you're going to like finish. Your lawyers are reading everything. They're like weighing the pros and cons of like doubling in size. You realize, okay, now like we're signing this LOI. Now we've got like this lease and like, oh, we just signed the lease. Okay. Like now we're talking to contractors. And before you know it, you're opening three studios at exactly the same time. And that went through like leases can take a year to negotiate. Right. So it was like summer 18 to like summer 19. And then we were starting our like, you know, fundraising and uh, build out process. Right. And so things were kind of happening very quickly and we um, had some banks involved and we were like, you know, securing some funding with banks and starting our build outs in Hingham, Providence and Copley all around the same time. And the timelines are shifting. And you know, when you go to open a space, it's like, we're supposed to open in May and now it's December. Like what's going on? So things are kind of getting pushed along. And then at the end of the year, like November, December, all of our banks pulled out. This is 2019. They're like, nope. We were like, what? And we have to come up with like over a million dollars right now. Like, what do we do? Oh my God. And so this is like obviously on the runway to COVID. So I'm not sure if the financial world had information before the rest of the world did. Likely. Um, I don't want to make assumptions, but things changed very quickly. And we had to go to more of like a private um, uh, investor 
road. And so in six weeks, we raised $1.2 million. So how do you, how does somebody raise $1.2 million in six weeks? You uncomfortably sit with people that believe in you who um, are willing to even just hear you out. You take meetings with everyone that you know. Um, and you take introductions to anyone that you think might want to invest in something. Here's the thing. And I was just talking with a friend of mine who's going into business. She's like, I'm just embarrassed. And I'm like, you will be embarrassed for the rest of your life if you are afraid to ask something of someone and fearing the answer, no. No has never hurt me. No has never slapped me across the face. No has never ended a friendship. No has never ended a relationship. No has no has ever never like lost me like money in the long term. Right. And so we just had meeting after meeting after meeting and we got a lot of no's. And then we started getting a couple of yeses and we were like, you believe in this shit? We're like, yes, of course you do. This is the best decision you've ever made. Here's the paper. Right. (laughs) And, but we had our, we had our ducks in a row. We had our, like, you know, our projections, our pro forma, we had everything that we knew that we were going to do in these three locations. And so we were able to do that in about six weeks time. And it was me, like one of our meetings was over there at Yard House. The other meetings are like in people's living rooms with like, you know, just people that believed in what we were trying to accomplish and more so people that believed in me and Clyde, right? Because at the end of the day, if you're going to invest in something, you're investing in the people, you're not investing in like the business or the product really. I mean, you might believe in that's a really great idea, but it's a trust relationship. And so we have some amazing investors who have been patient because like, of, you know, circumstance. And then just also like you invest in a business and then it goes into a global pandemic shutdown. Like there, it, you don't, there's no rule book to that. Right. So the trust was really massive and we have done every single day I wake up and I'm like, how am I making sure that they have the information that they need? And that if it's a waiting period that I'm like doing my very best to like check my boxes and keep everybody like informed, right. To the best of my ability. Um, and so we were able to do that. And I remember like, I mean, I'll never forget the day where I was like, and I've talked about this on like another podcast, I think with my friend, Melissa, I was like standing in my kitchen and I was newly pregnant. This is like November or December of, um, of 2019. And, um, I was on the phone with my advisor, Robin, who is like a powerhouse. And she's just been there like holding our hands and pushing us and challenging us along the way and giving us so much opportunity to get down to like the nuts and bolts of our business and, and really like grow and get uncomfortable. Um, and she's like reading some paperwork I was sending out to investors and there were mistakes in it because I was moving too fast. I had to go fast, 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 fast. Got to get this out. Got to raise the money. Oh my God. And she called me and she was like, there's so many mistakes. You've got to slow down. Like you've got to like, she's like fucking like reel it in Megan. And I'm like, okay. So I like hang up the phone and I'm like crying and breathing heavy. And like my husband and my son, who's like two and a half at the time are like in the kitchen. And I just start having a miscarriage in that moment. And it's not because of what I was going through. It was just what was happening at the moment. And I'm just like, oh my God, I'm like, I'm like bleeding. And I remember being like, I can't focus on that. I've got to get the paperwork out. Like I, in that moment, it's very visceral to me. And I kind of have like goosebumps because I'm like, I was like so focused in on this paper and this like spelling error and this like paragraph that life was literally happening to me. And I was like ignoring it. And I'll never do that again. Right. Like Mm -hmm. I'll never say that that stuff is like more important than my life and my family. And many times people might question like, is she ever home with her kids? Not as often as I would like to, but they come first, 
you know? And so in that moment, I was like, holy shit, this is like, I got to go. Like, I got to finish this document. I'll never do that again. And I learned that that day, right? Because I never healed from it until the whole world shuts down and I'm sitting in therapy and I'm like, why am I crying? Oh, because I never dealt with that, right? And so now I'm trying to choose to deal with those things in the moment. But it's hard when you're a business owner and you're like yep. in that moment of pressure, right? And so I learned a lot that day and I kind of digress with that story, but we were able to nail that, right? We were able to finish that. And um, and then we were able to get those three studios open between December of 19 and March of 2020. And they were all six operating for eight days in May from, I mean, March, from March 8th to the 16th. And then we shut everything down. Oh my God. Because it was the right thing to do. (laughs) So whirlwind, but great experience, like overall. And, you know, there's a lot of trauma involved in all of that. And I think you just have to like really start to unpack that to be a healthy human. But it was a wild ride. That was a lot. Like, I'm wow. sorry. I, I just, <laughs> I got chills hearing that story because I feel like, again, like people don't realize how much small business owners give. Like, mm-hmm. I feel like people are always asking and you're trying to deliver, but there's so many things that are happening like that. Like you had a miscarriage and you just pushed through. Yeah. What other job would that have ever, like, no, like you would have had time off. You would have, if you were pregnant, you might not have even been working at the time and you just pushed through because you had to do it. There's no other option in your mind. Right. Because this is just how I feel like entrepreneur minds work at sometimes. And then, yeah, you happen. You're like, I'm never going to do that again. Yeah. But it's so, <laughs> I have chills because I've been there. Um, not that same exact situation, but it's like, you just give everything that I want people to understand what you're giving up when you decide to open a business. It's not always as easy as people think. And there's a lot of sacrifice. There's a lot of great things, but there's a lot of sacrifice. So blood, sweat, tears goes into this. Mm-hmm whether you guys see it or not, um, whether people share it or not, like there's so much behind the scenes. So thank you so much for sharing that. Yeah, of course. I feel like it's so powerful and I still have chills. I'm like, uh, I know. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that story with us. Of course. I think that will resonate with a lot of people and especially someone who is in the early stages of building their business and doesn't see like the light at the end of the tunnel, mm-hmm. you know, because yeah. it can be really overwhelming in the beginning. You're working seven days a week going through all the rest of the things that life is throwing at you, but the business is still there and you still have to show up every day. Yeah. 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 This isn't even half as important as obviously the miscarriage, but when you're going through that, you're giving away equity. Yeah. And well, how did that, how did that feel? Yeah. So not actually, not exactly equity, like oh, yeah, in like okay. a, in a short term and more so like, um, like the structure of it. And I, I can't really get into too many details, but, um, it was a lot of, you know, the, like the mechanism of it would, would be equity in the future if opted in. Okay. Um, and so there's like percentage of sales shared and, and things like that, which is really cool. So the people that invested with us really believe in us and they are, they took every, you know, every risk in the book to believe in us, to have it be structured that way. Um, and so in the future it could end up in an equity, um, situation. And so that would be up to, you know, our relationships and, and where things go. But, um, yeah, they took a big risk on us and they believed in us and it was like a really beautiful, it was amazing to see these people just say you and Clyde. Yeah. Yeah, of course. And like, even during the hardest times in the pandemic where I'm like, I don't know what this payback will look like, like how long this is going to take now that this has happened. And like this, you know, this one couple that invested with us, they're like, we're your biggest fans. Like we are literally your biggest fans. Like just keep going, keep grinding. And as long as they know that we're always working really hard for them, because at that time, when you take on investors, you now work for your investors, right? Because Mm -hmm. some people don't treat it that way, but Clyde and I do treat it that way. And it's really important that we do that because these people put their hard earned money into our hands to do something and they 
Like we want them to come out on top. We want them to make more on the money that they invested. And so it's really, it's very important to us. It's very delicate. Yeah. And it's a new whole level of pressure that you're Mm -hmm. dealing with, especially going from just one location and two that you grew organically to now having outside investors that you have to think about and consider. So how did you manage that new pressure? I mean, that's when the therapy really kicked in more hardcore. No, uh, yes, but um, I would say it's being very um, diligent and being very detailed. And like our investor Robin was saying, like slow it down, slow it down. You know, uh, the faster you work, the more mistakes you can make. And this is people. These are people, right? These are people with families and um, who believe in you. And so, like, you need to slow it down. You need to outsource things that you don't understand how to do. You can't like. You can fake it till you make it to a certain point, but there becomes a point where you have to get, you know, the law firm and the um, and the advisory board and the, um, you know, advisors and people that have done this before. And you have to always be ready to learn. Like, I feel like, especially with what we just created with our, you know, disclosure documents for the franchise offering, I feel like I was just in law school for like eight months, right? And I know, like I was sharing with you, like, I only understand about 10 to 15% of it, right? <laughs> and so with what I went through to do that, and only knowing that I'm scratching the surface of what all of that actually truly means in, in functionality, um, you just have to be open to it. And so you can't pretend like you know everything. Um, so yeah, that's kind of like the biggest takeaway. So then you opened all six yeah. and then COVID happens. And we all, we don't have to get deep into COVID because we probably <laughs> talked about it so many times, but it's the most challenging thing that most businesses probably have ever faced and will face going mm-hmm. forward. But you guys handled it like pros. You, you immediately sold, or not sold, you rented out your bikes. You were like leading the charge in the Boston area for cycling, I felt like. Thank you. How did it feel on your end? Because from our end, it felt like you guys were leading the charge for Spin Studios and you yeah. had a huge competitor, Peloton, yeah. you were going against. Who knows? I know. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it felt awful. So when you do that, so I, I tell this story a little bit, Jesse, our creative director, um, when we shut down, our um, studios on the 16th, it was a week before the full shutdown happened, but a lot of studios, more corporate studios like Barry's and SoulCycle and like those places that we like follow and had, you know, get the weekly emails from. Um, and it, we also like, will go and work out those places. We started getting their emails saying like, we're shutting down our studios in New York. We're shutting down our studios in LA. We're shutting down like kind of like the metropolitan started to shut down. And I called Clyde that day. It was like March um, 15th or 15th. And he had already gone to um, kind of like shelter at his parents' house because his health is like definitely, he doesn't want to get COVID at that time because of his like, you know, kidney transplant. So I was like trying to get him on the phone. So I'm like, I think we have to fucking like shut down. Like, I really think we have to do this. It's going to be two weeks. It's going to be fine. Right. Mm -hmm. But I didn't want to make that decision before I got him on the phone. It's like, we're co-founders. Right. And so I'm calm. Like, where is he? I'm like, pick up your phone. And he's like, Hey, and I'm like, Hey, I think we got to close. He's like, yeah, if you think so, let's do it. And I was like, I really wish you had said, don't do it. Like, I really wish he was like, (laughs) I have to fight him on this one. Right. You know? And, um, when we closed down, I had to make the phone call to the team and say like, Hey guys, like, we're going to, we're going to, end our schedule as of like Sunday morning. I think it was like Sunday was the last day. I think I taught a session in Hingham and that was it in the morning. It was like 10.30 a.m. Boom, we were done. And um, the next day was, I have to lay everybody off because I don't know what this is going to be like, right? So I called my full-time staff. I'm calling kids, really, no offense to them, but this is some of their first jobs out of college. Some of them are still in college. And I'm calling young people who took a risk to work at this company and telling them that I cannot support them right now and that I need them to get on the unemployment website and follow the directions and hope for the best. 
And those phone calls were, I remember I was sitting on my bed and I'm just like trying to keep a straight face. I'm like tears holding back until I was done. And I, I literally was like, and I don't have any answers for you other than that. And I wish I did. And I'm like, if this thing opens back up again in two weeks, I hire you right back onto the same role you had. It's been two week period of time. So our staff was some of the first people to receive unemployment checks because they went day one into the system. And I'm really proud of that because I wasn't afraid to lay people off. Was I afraid? Yes, I was afraid, but I did it anyways. I went right for it. And I was like, okay, what are the other hard things that I have to do that will at least set us into a position of safety? Because then it was like being safe. It wasn't about winning. It wasn't about revenue. It was about, is everyone going to have what they need to survive, right? Which is always, like I was saying earlier, that's what we're always trying to make sure. Does everybody have what they need to do well? Does everybody have what they need to survive? And so at that point, it was literal survival, right? So they're, you know, jumping on their computers like, what did she just tell me to do? Am I, I don't have a job anymore. Technically, no, right? So they got on unemployment and then it became, Clyde called me, he goes, got to rent the bikes out. And I'm like, you're crazy. Literally, you're crazy. And he's like, no, even if it's two weeks, whatever, people pick them up from us because we had a bunch of Schwins in our storage unit. And we, because we had transitioned to the stages bikes, we had all these bikes in storage. He's like, whatever, like it's not going to affect our studios. We'll just pop some online. So Jesse, our creative director and I are sitting in the parking lot of Dedham and we're like, okay, we're going to, we're going to put these bikes online. We'll put 13, 13 bikes available for rent. And we didn't like, we said that we had 13, but we didn't have a cap actually in the Mariana tech system for like the product that we had created. We oversold by like 50 bikes. We were like, fuck, we were like, Oh my God. So then it became like 50 people or like 63 people want to get a bike. So we just kind of kept like opening up the floodgates and we kept renting every single bike. So we out, we unloaded our storage unit in the pouring rain and we had a row. I'll never forget. Like, this is like the shit that you never forget. A line of cars. We have masks and gloves on. We're like, pop your trunk. We're throwing it in your truck. Check the name off on the list. Sign the agreement and go. People didn't get out of their cars because we didn't know what we were dealing with. And so we're throwing bikes in cars. They're just driving through out of like the extra space storage unit in Dudham. And then we oversold our Schwins. Then I'm starting to clear out studios. And weeks are like two weeks goes by. And now I think in the first four days of the shutdown, we had filmed about 25 classes at that time on camera. Jesse just got our, our friend Raf came through with his camera. Jesse set up some lights and we started just filming. And because I'm like, well, these people have bikes at home. We got to give them something to do. So that was the, you know, the birth of our on-demand platform, which still exists to this day and is about to undergo its like you know, rebirth, which is really exciting. And it's great quality. I, oh, they're COVID, so good. I took so many. I you still do them. They're amazing. If you haven't you. yet, go try one if you're at home. It's, it's fun. I mean, it was, it also kept us busy and I really wasn't touching down into the crisis yet. Like I was, we were filming and because of COVID people would wait in their cars. Jesse would fil- would be the only one in the room with the trainer, wipe everything down. That person would leave wave to the next trainer coming in. Cause we, I really didn't want people to get sick. The worst would be people getting sick while volunteering their time to do this. You know, like it was like, everyone knew that there was no money coming in right now, really. So everyone was volunteering their time and people showed up, like our team showed up like every single day on unemployment or even just completely unemployed, just coming in to like film these videos, helping with the bike pickups. Like it was, it was unbelievable. Uh, our, our community, our team of athletes, our like customers were just like 
buying whatever they could on our online shop, t-shirts for 10 bucks, but like donating extra money. Like they just wanted us to be around and it was really cool. Or just taking their bike rentals for months and months and months, because then we know it it lasted a lot longer than we thought it would. Um, But yeah, we just took risks. Like it was a risk to rent out bikes because everyone said it was crazy to do that if it was going to be two weeks. And Clive was like, well, what's the worst? We just have to pick them up again. I drove a U-Haul around with one of my trainers and we had like the TikTok trainer, like, you know, in the, in the U-Haul chronicles that we were like bringing on Instagram and TikTok or whatever. And we're, we were delivering bikes to people's houses and they loved it. Cause like, I'm coming to their house, right? Yeah. I'm throwing it on their porch. We're like waving. Like it was, it was a beautiful moment amongst a really hard time. You know, and like we got creative and and we survived because of our creativity. Because at the end of the day, what Clyde and I always say is that we would not lay down at the end of the day and go to sleep unless we had done everything we could do that day to survive. And if I remember there was a couple of times I got into bed and I was like, no, you didn't finish that shit. You got it. Like you need that for tomorrow. And I would get up and I would do it. And that that was how we survived that. And we had the support of thousands of people that love revved and have come back since we've, you know, gotten back on our feet. And so, um, and yeah, we had Peloton to be afraid of, but like, we were like, well, we're going to make beautiful videos and better workouts. So, and people get to be with your instructors, yeah. like their community. There's a big difference. Yeah. And you're shopping local and supporting local. I feel like people did rally behind that. Yeah. And I was filming in my basement at like really bad lockdown time. And I'd have like the baby monitor over to the right and my iPhone capturing the, like the session I was teaching. And I'd be like, oh my God, please don't wake up right now. And like, <laughs> and then sending that video to Jesse in a Dropbox. Like it was just like, it was like. I always say it's like, it's like camping. Like you're just trying to live your regular life, but outside with no running water, like how do you do it? So yeah, it was wild times. I'm really glad. It's wild to think back of all the things you do and you're like, hopefully we never have to do that again. Never. But but you showed resiliency. You showed that you could take the messy action. You can make it happen. I feel like the studios that survived, the businesses that survived, they got creative. Mm -hmm. They found other ways to make money. They found other ways to keep their teams together, even if they weren't getting paid. Mm -hmm. And you could see the reasons why some survived and some unfortunately didn't make it through. Yeah. Um, So we made it through and then you had to make a tough decision though. You ended up having to close two studios, not during COVID, but eventually after. Yeah. Can you talk to us about that? Because that's not an easy decision to make. We've had to close one studio when we lost our building in Southie and it feels like you're losing a child. Like Mm. you're like, I just felt so much guilt. How did you guys feel and how did that decision come about? Yeah, I felt the same, like very guilty. Like I did this to everyone type thing. Like you feel really bad. And the reason that we did that, well, there's multiple, obviously there's multiple reasons that go into it. And a lot of, a lot of it is, you know, timing, resources, um, that was when it was really hard to staff. A lot of our team wasn't able to come back in their full way. And so it was also impossible to hire, still is impossible to hire. But um, but we were in a position where the landlords and the locations that were underperforming upon like, you know, reopening, um, we weren't making in certain areas the money that we had been making prior or what the potential held in those studios prior to COVID. And so our Providence studio and our Burlington studio, Providence was very heavy in students and they weren't all coming back onto campus. They were so hybrid. And so our Providence location was suffering in a big way, but had the most beautiful, vibrant community. The people that were working and training in our Providence studio are still like besties to this day. I love them to my core. They were the biggest cheerleaders for Revd. And that was probably the really, well, they both were really hard to close, but Providence was exceptionally hard because it, it never really had a chance. 
you know, and it was open for two weeks before COVID shut down. And those two weeks were beautiful and awesome. And it was, it was our first like city studio because Copley hadn't opened yet. And so when Clyde and I made that decision, it was because the landlord relationship that we had maintained throughout COVID was really positive. And as much as like we wish that we could pay rent during COVID, you can't, you're not making sales. And Brown University, big shout out to them. They were our landlord there. And the gentleman that was handling our account was like, look, you guys are in a a tough situation and we really wish this wasn't the case, but we can give you an easier exit. And you guys can, you know, like, you know, increase your bandwidth by like making your footprint smaller and we can make this easy for you guys. And so we had to weigh out our options and it made sense for us to close down and take this kind of like affordable exit helped us overall to keep staff on. It helped us to um, have less sessions to cover um, and less places for our smaller management team to get to. Um, Because when we first doubled in size, we had a manager in every studio and a full team and everything. And that wasn't the case when we first came back because life had changed for a lot of people. And I couldn't afford to bring everybody back on right away. And so... um, so that was a really challenging decision. And, and Burlington was very similar. A lot of office parks in that area where people are not working in offices anymore. And like, I know I hold the unpopular opinion of most people should go back to their offices because it benefits my business. Sorry, please don't unfollow me because I said that. I understand the benefit of working from home for your lifestyle, but there's an economy out there that's suffering because people are home more often. And and it's, it's obvious. Um, please do what's best for you and your family. (laughs) I love you all. But um, Burlington suffered because of that and they didn't rebound as quickly. And our landlord there, we had a great relationship with them too. And the woman that was handling our account was like, hey, is this when we start having those conversations? And she was like, if we have those conversations now before more debt accumulates on this space, then we can make this really, you know, on the easier side to, to let you guys out. And we appreciated that. And that's what relationships, that's why relationships are really important. Professional relationships, landlord to tenant relationships, you know, customer to to business relationships. You really have to cultivate positive relationships everywhere you go, because you never know when you're going to be in a situation where they're going to go, well, yeah, you were a dick the whole time. So I'm not going to help you out, you know? Mm-hmm. And so that we made those two decisions and it was probably the best thing that we could do but you don't want to tell people that you're closing their studio down. It was gut-wrenching. It was awful. And trainers had to teach like for days of a week, like after the announcement went out. And like, if we ever had to close another studio down, I would probably, I don't know what I would do different. I haven't really like had that exercise in my brain yet, but um, a couple of our trainers took it really hard because they were leaders in those studios and they had to answer a lot of questions. And I wasn't always there standing to answer the questions and support them. And it it was hard. I didn't know of a better way to do it at the time. And I would have to like kind of go through that exercise if that happened again in the future where we made different decisions like that. But um, it wasn't fun. Let's just say that. Did it create a better situation and a stronger business? 100,000%. To short, just to change that footprint just enough to alleviate that type of debt and to move forward like so much better. But it was the worst of times <laughs> to yeah. do that. Sometimes you have to make those decisions, which is like really tough. But I feel like it brought you back to the place where now you're entering this new phase. And maybe if you had six, it wouldn't have been possible. No way. Because now, which we're so excited for you, your franchise. Yeah. I've been going through that yeah. whole process. And how long has that been? About a year? Yeah. I want to say the opportunity came to us probably a year ago. Um, and then we had to kind of weigh out how we wanted to pursue it. Um, 
I was learning about licensing versus franchise and like how licensing works where it's like a little bit of a less of a overhaul, um, but it's a lot looser of a relationship with a brand and likeness and whatnot, whereas franchising creates guardrails and, and systems and, you know, quality control. And so you can't really license a service. You can license a product or like, you know, Mickey Mouse can be on, you know, uh, lunchboxes and backpacks and t-shirts, but that's a licensing event, right? It's not necessarily like a service, a brick and mortar and like a studio, right? So um, we engaged with our our awesome, you know, law firm downtown Boston and, and they took us through like, you have to franchise if you want to grow like this and have someone own a studio. And so we started that process and then we just, I mean, I think, what was it? A week ago, Wednesday, I, I picked up the disclosure documents. I, I thought that I could staple them, but they're 200 pages. So we had to bind them. And the guy at FedEx looked at me like, ma'am, there is no staple large enough in the world that will staple this together for you. Um, but it, we were able to put that together in like just under a year of real like back and forth with like, you know, the the legal team and what a learning experience. <laughs> I know. I feel like the franchise, we could do a whole another episode on. And maybe mm-hmm. once yeah. it's officially launched, we get you back. And we get Clyde yeah. in here too. Yeah. We talk about that because this is like a huge thing for you guys. Yeah. I'm like so excited. This is, Thank you. This is big. It was crazy. I was like, are we doing this? And every time you do things, so you're just like, you know me, I'm afraid of everything. So I'm like, okay, I'm just going to hyper-focus in on the documents, hyper-focus in on the documents. One thing at a time. Yeah. And like earlier when I was like, yeah, we're franchising, saying it out loud is like really exciting. And we haven't been able to tell anybody yet. So even yeah. me talking today about it, it's not even like on the, like the wires yet. Um, but it's, it's the best way for us to grow and kind of, you know, get, continue to get our New England business back to a healthy point and not take on more, you know, locations personally. Like I have two kids. They haven't really seen me much outside of like pickup drop off and like bedtime, like maybe twice a week in years, like their whole lives. And I want to provide for them. And I want to be like, I want to like get to know my husband again. Cause he's been like the, like the greatest, like, you know, source of support in my life and just, you know, picking up where I can't at home. And we really work so well together, but like, I want to enjoy my life and like the fruits of my labor. And so having this franchise opportunity allows the brand to grow, allows us to continue to, um, you know, create revenue opportunities and channels of revenue without having to turn the lights on every single day in every location, keep the wheel greased. Um, and it also was really cool to meet like-minded people across the country. Like our first unit is in Arizona and the woman who's owning it there, she's so much like me. And I didn't realize it until everyone was like, you guys are literally the same person. I'm like, I am so sorry, but no, she's amazing. And she comes from the fitness industry as well. She's managed studios before. She's a trainer herself. She values the same stuff that we value. She's authentic. She's a team player. She's a humble leader. Um, and she's a get it done girl. Like she's literally like a get shit done girl. And I love that. And so she fits our culture like to a T. Like I wish she was here in Boston and that she wasn't a six hour flight away, but she's going to cultivate a team in Arizona that just fits. So, I mean, I've already met her team. They're ama- like, they're just so perfectly authentic and awesome and diverse and they're just revved. It's just so cool to see that happen. And so, um, it's like having another, you know, we call our studios our babies, right? It's like having another baby, but like, it's also someone else's baby, right? Like, it's like, they're able to take it and there's so much freedom that she's going to have. Like, and then she's also going to use our systems and she's going to be very successful there. And I also don't have to go there every day, but 
the relationship is great because it's a financial win, right? And it's also such a brand win first and foremost. So it's very, very cool. I get to go back out there again in like two weeks and and watch them open their doors. And that's just like not so. So yeah. How amazing is that that you just created this opportunity for her too? Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. And she was, she was the reason we went into the franchise conversation in the first place. She reached out and was like, I want to bring Rev to Arizona. And we were like, well, let's figure out how to do that. So I, we owe so much to Katie, if you're listening, it's all your fault. <laughs> Thank you. Cause it's like, it's very cool that someone from across the country loved what they were seeing with us on social media, which means they were understanding our brand through like 30 second videos and testimonials and experiencing us in a digital way that she took this leap of faith on us. Like that is, that's like unreal. It's so cool. Yeah. And then going forward, now you're going to be vetting people. And what are you looking for for like the next revved studio owner? Yeah. I think it's someone that really exemplifies that love of team and that love of hard work, get shit done. Um, and wants to cultivate a team and community environment where you are just like honestly striving to be your best at all times and can look to your left and right and have like-minded people around you. Right. Um, and so really you don't have to be, um, someone in the fitness industry to own a studio and, and put the right people in place. Right. So, Right now, too, as we're meeting people that are interested in in owning Revd, it's like, how are you with with forming a team? Who are you going to be bringing on to your team to support you? Because you really can't do this by yourself. Like you need trainers and lead trainers and people that understand the modality. And like, do people want to work for you? Do people want to work with you? Do people believe in the things that you're saying? Are you authentic? Are you honest? Are you transparent to the point where people trust you? Um, and can you carry the burden of ownership, right? Because at the end of the day, the buck stops with you. Even though you're a franchise owner and you have corporate support, at the end of the day, you are really truly the owner of that business. And can you carry that load? Do you know how to reach out for help? Do you know how to like push pause and take care of this like yourself, you know? Um, it's, it's hard. It's really hard, but there are really great people out there that have that like-mindedness and that can do that hard work that are just probably maybe in a position where they're grinding their gears a little bit and they're thinking of that next thing. And those are the kind of people that like should pick up the phone and, and chat with us because we've got all the corporate support and the marketing and, and the brand. Um, and we just want to teach people how to kind of roll it out. I have so many more questions for this, but I feel like we'd be here all day. <laughs> I know. This, is just, this is awesome. Yeah. Um, so we're going to kind of go to some miscellaneous questions, sure. just kind of random questions before we finish with our fast five. Um, one of my questions that I love to ask business owners is what was that like aha moment or did you have it yet when you're like, wow, this is actually working. We actually, <laughs> Clyde, we actually are business owners and people want to pay us to go on a spin bike that doesn't move and doesn't go anywhere. Yeah. You know, like when yeah. was that moment that you were like, this business is legit and it's working? Probably earlier when you started the podcast. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> this is happening. No, very seriously, we don't. Clyde and I rarely touch down onto earth and, and celebrate and go, whoa. But there are times, actually he texted me, I will say, he texted me a couple of weeks ago and I think Katie in Arizona had sent a picture of like the signage going up, right? The rev sign on the wall in Arizona. And he goes, can you believe people want to fucking do this with us? And I was like, no, I like actually can't. So those little moments happen. I never didn't believe in the product. I never didn't believe in the people, but like the fact that someone from across the country is interested, someone else from across, we have another opportunity in like the California area. And I'm like, what? Like you want to do this? 
it, it still like really boggles my mind. Am I confident in what we do? A hundred percent. I can tell you honestly, we're the best in the business and like, come for me, argue with me. I'll tell you why. Right. We do it because we love it. And so I'll always do what I love, even if it's one studio and I'm teaching every session on the schedule, like till my legs fall off. Like, I love this. I love what I do. And were there days during like the dark days of COVID where I was like, I'm out. Yeah. Like, like who didn't for like yeah. 15 seconds quit, right? I did 15 second quits all the time. They're very harmless. I'd be like, who wants to buy a sweat fix? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like I was like, I'm like, I'm quitting for 15 minutes. And Matt, my husband would be like, great. Like for the next 15 minutes, you're unemployed. How does that feel? And I'm like, not great. Right. Like didn't solve any of my problems. So, but like, we love what we do. And I think that's where the aha or like the, the grounding is, is like, we're, we're rarely like resting on our laurels because it's just not in our nature, but it feels really good to do it. That's awesome. You've learned so much since that very first day when you opened Rev. So what would be some advice that you would give to someone who's looking to open their own business? Where should they start? Um, Start with what, like, what do you, what are you cool with waking up every day to do, right? Like what's your passion? And there are serial entrepreneurs out there that are like project to project, right? And I don't really know what that life is like. So I'll be very honest. Like, I don't know, like I met this amazing woman when I was speaking at Northeastern once and she's just done a ton of product launches and they're all different. It's like almost like a online like product, like launch the next one, launch the next one, launch the next one. And she just really loves the like constant repetition of a system and success in that way. Whereas I know if you're going to open a studio, it's like planning a wedding and then you have that wedding every single day, right? <laughs> like you go through all of this planning and like, if you've ever been married, you've got like vendors and you've got planning and timelines and like your dress and like everything. And then you have that wedding every fucking day for the rest of your life. You just get better at having that wedding and you just, so what can you do every single day? And granted you can get creative and technology will change and things will be different. Like our business is not exactly the same from like a, from an operational and service standpoint. Yes. But our, our, our sessions have changed. Like our method has become more solid. Our technology has changed. So you know, we used to have Schwinn bikes with M consoles and now we have stages and we use a different type of like resistance program. Right. But at the end of the day, do you want to do something every single day when you wake up? And you don't always know the answer to that. Right. People ask me like, do you really love doing this every single day? Yes. I wake up every day between four and 5am and I go and five out of the seven days of the week, I'm the first session of the day. And I'm, I love it. I love it. And sometimes my body hurts and my mind is cloudy and I'm like, the kids were up all night or like, I don't feel well. And like, I'm going in. So I'm, I must love this or I'm nuts. Right. So like, so if you want to do this, what do you love to do? And what can you bring to people that brings value to them? Because, okay, you love it. That's great. But are you bringing value to anybody? Are you solving anybody's problems? Are you helping people live longer lives? Are you, are you like bringing value to the things that they do or making their life a little easier? then you have a business, right? Having a passion is one thing. Solving someone's problem, bringing value to their life is having a business. Yeah. Great answer. Um, and then you're a mom of two and you run four locations <laughs> and now you're a motherfucking franchise owner. Hey <laughs> so <laughs> I know there's a lot of people that are like, how the hell does she do it? So what is your secret? What are your hacks? How are you making the balls all stay in the air? They don't. They fall to the ground. Five times a week, maybe more. Uh, Shonda Rhimes, like 
baddest bitch in television, right? Mm-hmm. She was speaking at a, I think she was speaking at one of the HBCUs at their like commencement. And she said, um, everyone says like, how do I do it? Like, how do I, you know, Shonda, you do it all. You're a mom. I think she's a single mom of multiple children. She's got her production company. She's like, you know, writing TV still, writing scripts. How does she do it? She's like, I don't. When I'm present someplace, I'm absent somewhere else. And so, and I get, I get emotional. Oh my God. I get emotional about it because I made a decision to have a family and also have a business. And there's a village of people raising my kids when I'm not with them. And then there's a village of people raising my business when I'm not with it. So I drop balls, you know, like I'll fuck up a pickup, right? Like the kids are late or like, God forbid, they're like not picked up at all. Someone's (laughs) running over there or someone else is making them dinner or they're having McDonald's again this week or like whatever it is, like, I didn't set out to have kids that like, I wanted the organic experience. Like I wanted them to have like fresh pureed fruits for every meal. Bitch, do you think I have ever made a puree in my life? No. But are my kids healthy and loved and sheltered and cared for? A hundred percent. So I rely on a lot of people. I have like amazing people around us in our family and our friends and in the business as well. And so I'm not doing it all. (laughs) Like, I think that's the biggest thing is like, I would be lying to you if I'm like, this is all me. Cause it's not, I have a partner in Matt that like, is he's the most understanding and supportive person. Like our marriage would not work if he wasn't because I'm insane. And like, thank you, Matt. And like, we one day will like sit back, like he said to me the other day, and like, like, it was all worth it. So, you know, and so I don't keep all the balls in the air. And I think if I was pretending to, then I would be like, faulting. You know what I mean? So, um, but yeah, I think Shonda really hit it on the head where she was like, I am just present where I'm present and I'm trying to be all in when I'm there. If I can strive to be as close to a hundred percent as I am, like Deion Sanders says, like be where your feet are, right? Like, you know, coach prime, like where you are is where you're bringing your impact. And so if you are where your feet are and you leave the home stuff at home and it's going to creep in sometimes and you're going to get called away and that's going to feel wrong, it's okay. But when you're focused, like I'm here right now with you guys, I'm not like checking my phone, like trying to take emails. Like there'll be stuff. They'll be like, where are you? I'll be like, well, I was busy, but I'm here now. Right. And so I try so hard and I'm not great at it to be home with my kids and not be pulled away to things. Right. And I feel guilty if a call comes through and I'm like, I've had to like hide in the bathroom with the lights off and whisper on the phone with investors, be like, okay, like five minutes to give you the update because the kids are looking for me. Right. Like, but in those moments, I'm trying to give them my full attention and it's not perfect. So I don't do it all, I guess is the the answer to that. That's a perfect like (laughs) mic drop real moment. Yeah. Thank you. All right. So we like to end every interview with our fast five. So just five quick questions oh, gosh, that we okay. like to ask everyone. Cool. I'm sweating. Yeah. No, you're going to do great. Um, so what's one daily non-negotiable? Something that you do every single day, no matter what? Coffee. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. It's probably not great, but I'm non-functional without. Yeah. Um, what's a bucket list travel spot that you'd like to visit? I really want to go to the Maldives before they're gone. Like I, I sometimes find myself just Instagramming photos of those islands and those like little huts with the little like walkways that go between and they look like a turtle when they're like in a, in a, you know, a faraway visual. And I always say to my husband, like, we got to go there. And I know it's like 18 hours of travel to get there, but like when this, when this makes it big, I'm taking everybody I know out to the Maldives before they sink into the ocean. (laughs) So I know there's a timeline on it, but that's where I'd love to go. Uh, what's the best piece of business advice you've ever gotten? Um, oh, that I've ever gotten. I got so many slow down, Mm -hmm. slow down really big. Um, definitely, um, probably slow down and 
one that I've, you know, said to my team as well and has been said to me is like, you're the only one creating that timeline for yourself for the most part. And like, I hate the terminology of like holding a gun to your head, but like, you're the only one with that, like extreme, you know, uh, urgency in that moment. Even if someone's like, where is it? Where is it? Where is it? How are you going to handle that stress? Like just give yourself like a beat and just slow it down. Great. And what are three traits that you think every entrepreneur needs to have? Um, I think you have to be a risk taker, which is why I'm your anti-entrepreneur. <laughs> Hi, I've been an entrepreneur for nine years of like fear and, um, you know, turmoil. Um, I think you have to be a, a risk taker and it's okay to be afraid. You don't have to be, I don't think you have to be fearless. I think a lot of entrepreneurs are very fearless and I think that's really beautiful and wonderful. I don't think you have to be fearless. I actually think fear is really smart because you can like unpack it. Um, I think you have to be um, hopeful. I think hope is really smart. I think in the moments where you don't actually have an answer, you can make the best decision and that usually comes from like a hopeful place. Um, you can't hope into all your success and out of all your, you know, your, your crises, but I think hope is smart. And I've learned that throughout the years. And sometimes I'm like, okay, it's not a time to be hopeful. It's a time to take action. Right. But I think hope is smart. I think you have to be, I think you have to be like a little bit of like a self comedian. Like, I think you're going to get into uncomfortable situations and I think you have to be able to like make fun of yourself. Um, I think you have to be a little self-deprecating at times <laughs> because it makes you a human being, right? Even in like a, a session when I'm teaching a spin class and I'm, and I'm like, I make a mistake, I count or I say a, like a word that's not actually a word in any language. And I'm just like, you know, my tongue is just like, I was like, I'm a human being, right? Nobody's perfect. You have to be so comfortable with being like not perfect. And you actually have to you'll make everyone more comfortable around you if you can if you can make a joke about yourself. And I think that's really important because it disarms everybody. And then I think it's a little easier to work with like a CEO or a leader or the boss or the founder, or whatever your title is. I think titles are such jokes too. Like I'm like, cool, like CEO, like there's a CEO of, of showcase cinemas and they have so much more money than I do, <laughs> but we have the same title. Like, how is that? Like, what does it mean? Right. What are they doing? that I like that there's probably a lot of similarities, but there's a lot of differences too. So being able to make fun of yourself, being able to like sit in your like, oops, right. And then rebound. And how do you find a solution from like maybe a mistake that you made? Yeah. Awesome. And then if you could go back right to the early stages when you were opening Rev, what advice would you give to your former self? Mm. Little Megan. <laughs> Little Megan. Little Megan. <laughs> Little Meg. All like, wait, well, how old was I? Like 26, 27? And now everyone can do the math on how old I am now. Um, I would say be kind to yourself. Be confident in what you can do. I still feel like an imposter 95% of the time, but like you are going to be so great. You're going to be like so great and it's all going to be okay. And you're going to learn a lot about yourself. And so all these little things that you're stressing out about, um, you're going to get past them because like you've, you've lived through every of your, every one of your hard days, right? You've overcome every one of your challenges and, um, you learn from them. So you're going to be, you're going to be great. You're fine. This, this is so amazing. <laughs> Thank you for being so real with us. This was such a fun conversation. I think people are going to get a ton out of this. Oh my God. This is amazing. And you gave us so much of your time. Thank oh, you shit. so much. No, this is, no, I mean, I was like, crap, she probably has to go. She has franchises to open. So <laughs> Naps where can they just take. keep going yeah. all day? Where can they find you? Where can they find Rev? Where can they go if they want to open a franchise? Okay, so go to www.revedindoorcycling.com. 
um, Instagram at Rev Cycling, Instagram at Meg St. Mark. Um, and um, there's a TikTok out there as well of mine if you want to see what I was doing during the pandemic. I haven't posted in a while. But no, if you want to if you want to check out our franchises, there is a tab on our website that talks to you about the process of that. There's a contact form. We'd love to hear from you. Um, and if you want to come take sessions, we have four studios right now, soon to be one in Arizona very soon. Actually, if this launches the ninth, it's opening today. Congratulations, Katie. Um, and I obviously like love hearing from people because I get back to them and I love that. So, um, and if you haven't heard back from me yet, I'm coming. <laughs> Give me a second. But yeah, this was, thank you guys. This was so, I felt like I forgot we were recording for a long time there. So this was really fun. I appreciate you guys. Yeah, this was amazing. And you guys know where to find us. We're businessmusclepodcast.com on Instagram at businessmusclepodcast. And I'm DrAriel.dpt. You can find Elise at Elise Kara on Instagram. We'll see you guys next week. Thank you so much. You guys are amazing. (laughs) You just finished another episode of the Business Muscle Podcast. If you found value in this episode, don't forget to subscribe and leave us a five-star review. Your reviews mean the world to us and help us reach other listeners who can make a big impact in the business world. Don't forget to join our Business Muscle Podcast Facebook group where you can ask questions and chat with other like-minded entrepreneurs. Stay tuned for our next episode where we'll bring you more expert advice and practical strategies to help you thrive. Thank you for being a part of the Business Muscle community, and we'll catch you in the next episode.